inspiration. This is Marshall Paris. And today we are having a little bit of a different episode in the sense of our co-host Joshua Busio is not able to be here today. Now, I am looking forward to this interview in the sense of I'm here with Mr. Fallon Egan. For the past 28 years, has been the founder and CEO of EMI and is actually a design and manufacturing company for the oil and gas, telecommunications, and railroad industries. I actually have the privilege to have known him personally, and we have him here today. Hey, Chris. Hey, Marshall. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. <laughs> All right. So to get us started off and to kind of get to know you a little bit and let our audience get to know you a little bit, what would you say is the most exciting thing you did in your 20s, the most memorable or a good story that you have? Uh, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is, um, uh, I have, uh, several children and, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our second child, we were in the kitchen of the house, uh, at the house timing contraction. And I looked up and I saw somebody walk by the kitchen window and I said, that looked like a police officer heading toward the backyard. And then there was a knock at the front door. And I thought, what is going on? So I went to the front door and lo and behold, there's a police officer at the front door. And I opened the front door and he says, uh, Mr. Egan. And I thought, yeah, Fallon Egan. Yeah. How does this guy know my name? <laughs> he says, well, I'm, uh, I've got a warrant for your arrest. And yeah, you've got to be kidding me. For what? <laughs> Traffic ticket. Oh my God. I've got a police officer in front yard at the front door, a police officer at the back door. I tell him, please come in. It's a little strange, but right now my wife and I are timing contractions. You know, we're about, we're going to have our second child. And uh, great guy. They come in the kitchen. The next thing you know, they're having coffee with us. We're all timing contractions. He's one of them is on the phone back to the station, you know, trying to explain the situation to them. The people at the station are saying, but you've already called this in. It's already on record that you're there. There's no way you can leave the man. You've got to bring him in. <laughs> so they all got together and said, listen, Here's the station. Here's the plan. Mrs. Zegan, he's going to have to come with us. We want you to follow in your car. We're going to take him in the front door. We're going to walk him through, take care of his paperwork, walk him out of the back door and put him in your car, and you guys can go to the hospital. He said, I promise we'll have this done in less than 15 minutes. <laughs> True to his word, <laughs> we get to the police station, they are waiting with, they know my name. They're waiting with the paperwork. They're patting me on the back. Good luck. Hope everything is great. And they walk me out the back door and into the car and off we go. And the next morning, my, my daughter, Alexandra, is born at about two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Hands down. Hands down. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd say, yeah, that is, a, that is one of our better stories of, 
the fastest arrest I've ever heard of. <laughs> oh yeah, and the and the nicest, two nicest guys, just they they couldn't have been uh, any nicer, and that happened here in Houston. That actually sounds so, that does sound really nice. So yeah, I tell you what, whenever I Marshall, whenever I get pulled over now, I remember that, and I'm very nice and courteous to the police. They are good guys. They do a lot of really good work. That is really nice. And I guess to get into a little bit of the more meat of the conversation. So Mm -hmm. you actually, you attended Alabama and then then you graduated from LSU a little bit ago. And then you took a little bit of time before you started EMI where you actually took a little bit of years where I actually don't know what you did. Can you actually walk us through how did you actually start your career? And then how did that actually lead into you starting and running your own company? Well, actually, I got hired while I was still in college uh, to go to work for a company in New Orleans uh, doing inside sales. And it was a manufacturing company. And uh, while I was there doing inside sales, I also spent a lot of time going back and forth to the plant, uh, learning uh, operations. Uh, I studied business in school. And so I actually had an opportunity to see the accounting system, the purchasing system, the receiving and manufacturing, the shipping, the sales. It was uh, LF Gobert and Company. It was a cable manufacturer. And they gave me a great opportunity to see the inside of how everything worked. And they were a small company that grew into a pretty good-sized company, eventually were sold. But they gave me great opportunities. They were really, really a, a great family-run business. The, the greatest opportunity that they gave me, though, uh, was that they gave me the chance to move to Texas and take over our most lucrative territory in sales. Um, the gentleman who was running the territory for many years was retiring, and uh, they they picked me to, to relocate to Houston and take over. So that's how I got to Texas and to Houston. Um, the other thing that they did for me was uh, I was strictly a commissioned salesperson. Uh, there was no salary, no, no financial support. Uh, I paid for everything out of my commissions. The sales were good, so I could afford it. But the, I would bring opportunities from our customers to the company, and they'd ask us to do certain things. And there were things that I knew we could do. But the company was very focused on just what we did. We only made electrical cable for certain industries. And uh, I would tell them, well, you know, I'd go back to the customer and they would tell them that the company really isn't in the, you know, business of doing this. And they kept asking me if I would do it. So finally, I went back to LF Gobert, to the president of the company and said, would you mind if I help them on their own? Because on my own, because this is tying into our sales and it's actually helping their sales and, and building better relations with our customers. And he said, you're on commission. You can do anything you want as long as you continue selling our cable. And so 
that was the beginning of the first company uh, that I ever owned. It was basically doing favors for people in the industry that I have got that I'd gotten to know. So that's now that's not how I started EMI. That's how I started the first company. Mm-hmm. So you actually, they basically. As you went out, you were building business. They basically brought business to you because your company wouldn't fulfill it, and you just went ahead and did it for yourself. That's correct. Okay, I see. And fulfilling fulfilling their needs. That was the big thing. Okay. And along that, so you went along and you were helping them out. You were fulfilling their needs and whatnot. And what along that line – made you leave the company that you were with and actually go and start on your own ventures? Well, after I sold that company, uh, I started EMI. And the idea behind EMI was instead of representing other people, we wanted to have control of our destiny and our future. I felt that as a rep agency, a manufacturer can drop you at any time for any reason or no reason. And it can put your business in turmoil. So it's a really stressful business. But if you're manufacturing, designing and manufacturing your own products, you have more control over your own destiny. You can direct the way that your business grows the industry that it grows in and the speed that it grows at by introducing new products or holding off on products by hiring salespeople, production, things of that nature. So when I started EMI it was with the idea of being a, a manufacturer, a, a product supplier, not a rep, not a representative. Mm-hmm. someone else. Okay, I see. And so you started out EMI. You actually basically jumped feet first into the manufacturing process. Can you actually tell us what were some of the growing pains, some of the biggest challenges that you had whenever you were starting your business? Well, I got to tell you, that you know, that's not exactly how it happened. I was very blessed because as I continued to grow the company, I was still representing the cable company. Mm-hmm. So I went out and I made sales calls on all the, of, of my clients for cable. And as they asked me to start doing things for them, we started to develop, we recognized needs in the industry. And I started to fulfill those needs through EMI. So I actually did it gradually, Marshall. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't jump both feet at one time. Okay. I was fortunate enough that I was able to do both at the same time. So I always had that cushion. There did, there did come a point where the business for EMI was growing, and I could see that it was also growing into some other industries that the cable company was not in and was not interested in being. So at that point, I went back to New Orleans, sat down with the president of the company and told him, 
I think that you could hire another person, send them to Houston, let them come and work with me in the office. I will train them, introduce them to everyone, walk them through, and I'll mentor them for a year so that there'll be a nice smooth transition and I'll always be there to help them if, if they need it. And they can be right there in the office. And so they had always been really, really good to me. And I wanted to make sure that I did the right thing by them. So that, that actually worked out very well for both of us. Um, they eventually uh, moved the, that office back to uh, New Orleans and closed their Houston location a few years later. Mm -hmm. but, um, that still was a very honorable and very good thing to actually do on your part, I will say. That you really saw that they helped out you and that you in turn helped out them. I would not be here in this position that I'm in today if it had not been for their kindness. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah. So, so I've, I've always been I've always been grateful for that. Absolutely. And so, in actually running your company, you've you've been in charge of your company for numerous years now, through multiple children, through going to different industries and whatnot. Now, what would you say are some of your biggest challenges or some of your moments that you thought that the company might not have made it through or times that you just didn't know what the answer was, yet you found out what an answer was? Uh, <clears throat> the, one, the consistent challenge that you have with a new company is, is the rate that you grow it at. If you grow too fast and you overextend yourself, you can put yourself out of business. If you grow too slow, then your competitors overtake you and you become insignificant in the market. Mm -hmm. You have to make your mark in the market. You have to be known in the market and trusted in the market. The thing that probably grew our company faster than anything and gave us the greatest security was the sheer fact that our motto is solution driven. And the one thing that I preach to our salespeople is that they are not salespeople. I don't ever want to see one of them sell something. I want them to go out and offer assistance to companies. And if you can solve people's problems, if you can take problems away from them, if you can get them to understand that, look, you can trust us with this, let us take this, fix it, improve it, supply it, and then do it. Because none of it matters if you fail to do it. You can make all the promises in the world, but if you fail to do it, that's worse. Because now you've let them down. But during that time, so growth and the rate of growth is is a difficult thing. But it wasn't the hardest thing I ever faced. Hmm. It will uh, the hardest the hardest thing I ever faced. Uh, in all the years in business, we had grown every year, which is an incredible, which is an incredible thing. Mm -hmm. 
Just by 80 standards, absolutely. absolutely yeah. Uh, even in the first oil downturn, we continued to grow because we had diversified out of just oil industry into telecommunication industry, into the railroad industry, uh, into, we, we had been led into other places. But we had, we had the next downturn in the oil industry. And that was the first time I ever had to lay a man off. And we, we put that off. And we held on to people and uh, we had people sweeping floors. We had people rebuilding jigs. We, we found anything we could for them to work. We, we cut back to 40 hour weeks. Then we cut back to 30 hour weeks. And then it got to the point where, you know, it was going to be difficult for, for some of these men to, you know, take care of their families. And we had gone through our reserves uh, for, and paid payrolls. So all the, you know, the money we'd made over the years was, you know, we were running out. And I finally had to give in. And I finally had to let people go. And if I hadn't, uh, everybody would have lost their job. So we finally did the tough thing. We made, we made a cut and then we made a second cut. And luckily, fortunately, we were blessed and things turned around. And, uh, I, I gotta tell you with the, uh, it was amazing with the election. Um, it was like somebody flipped a switch and we were back in business. All of our industries picked up, every single one of them. And for the past two years, it's just been getting stronger and stronger. We have rehired all of, almost all of those people are back at work. Um, people have gotten raises. And just recently, uh, about, uh, say about three months ago, I took a look at what we were paying as our, as our lowest wage. And I gave, I brought everybody up to a higher wage. So we now have, uh, we raised the minimum that we pay somebody $3 an hour. That's incredible. Well, we looked at it. And I asked myself, how can a family of four live on that pay? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't answer. So we looked at what it would take for them to live on, a, for a family of four to live on a pay, and that's what we made our base pay. So anybody, if, I don't care if they sweep the floors or they cut the lawn, and we do have people who do lawn maintenance in the company on a property, that's that's a minimum. There's a minimum they get. So, but it's like I said, Marshall. We've been we've been blessed. Absolutely, absolutely, and that really is incredible. Just the your mentality and your mindset, looking at how you set that base pay and how you treat your employees. 
And I actually have a question here of, but I think I already know at least a part of the answer. And you've kind of started to hint at it and whatnot. But over all of the numerous years, you've had to hire people. And unfortunately, you've also had to fire a few people. And many people have come and gone in that time. But what would you say are some of the ways that you've been able to get some of the best people, that you've been able to get people who are very loyal to what you do and to really help you run for so long? Well, you know, the the funny thing is is that when you hire somebody, you have to be willing to give them the responsibility to do the job. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn. It took me a long time. I was a micromanager. And micromanaging held me back. It held our it held our company back. And once I learned that there were some people that I could hire that would come in and bring additional knowledge in, in certain areas, knowledge that I didn't have, and I tr- and I could trust those people to do that job, and I could re- release that responsibility and turn it over to them then i didn't have to i didn't have to do that i could let them do their job and i could focus in another area and so pretty soon i started hiring people that had more knowledge than me i i looked for people that were better than me and those those were the key people those were the people that that picked us picked us up over so many humps and started running and you have to learn to trust them. And the other thing is, you know, people are going to make mistakes and, and the best people are the hardest on themselves. They have the hardest time accepting that they made a mistake, you know, and it's the easiest thing to, for me to say, Hey, I I can see how much this bothers you. I know you're not going to let this happen again. And don't worry about it. We'll pick up. We'll go. We'll, you know, we'll be fine. We'll fix it. We'll move forward. The biggest thing is there are two things. You're going to get knocked down in life. The true measure of yourself is not whether you get knocked down, but if you get back up. The second thing is, did you learn anything? Everybody knows these things. It's it's common knowledge out there. But you know, for some reason, it always applies to somebody else and it's hard for people to apply it to themselves. You know, they're not used to getting knocked down. And they, I mean, they're good at getting up. You know, those types of people are very good at getting back up. But they're very hard on themselves at blaming themselves on things. They learn. They need to learn not to do that. You know. Yeah. Okay. Because nobody's nobody's perfect. Mhm. And help me. I've, I've spent a lot of time on my butt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so we we've only got time for just a couple more questions. So mm-hmm. personally, I've 
been very fortunate to. I've known you and your family for, I showed up at your doorstep in a pair of diapers before, and <laughs> I've just known you for that long. <laughs> and over all the time that I've known you and just from what I've seen and whatnot, you've always been very generous over all of your life. You've been involved in many organizations and helping out in the church and whatnot. What would you say is one of the reasons that you really, or what, what really motivates you to actually be so generous and just to give and really make that a big part of your life? Well, I, I uh, very, very strongly believe that, you know, I keep talking about being blessed. And, and it's true. Um, every time I've had a difficulty, I've I've always had an answer, and it's always been through prayer. And I, and I grew up in a, in a, a family with a strong faith, but I also believe, as I said before, I. I wouldn't be where I am if it hadn't been for the kindness of others. You know, the the Go Bears uh, allowing me to do that and, and people trust, putting their trust in me that I could do the things that we said we could do and things of that nature. But when I look back at so many things, you know, Marshall, uh, I'm, a, I'm a nice guy and I'm a good guy, but uh, I could not have done what I did today, if it hadn't been a gift from God. So following that same thought, um, you know, if the growth and all of the company and everything uh, is a gift from God, then it's actually his company. And if it's his company, they're his profits. So, I don't need an elaborate life. Um, I like a simple life. You know, it's, it's, it's comfortable. It's uncomplicated. It's really great. And I don't believe that the money belongs to me. So it's very easy for me to put it where I, I think it needs to go. Uh, so we have things like the church, covenant house, um, so many different places around uh, around uh, Houston that that need assistance. Um, I just think it's what it's uh, what I'm supposed to do with it. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the reason for it. The reason for my success is is that it's been done. That really. So, I really will say that that is mentality that if we all had, then it'd be a better place for it. Thank you. And unfortunately, we are getting to the point where we don't really have that much more time. So mm-hmm. kind of real quick, of many of our listeners are students. Many of them are about to graduate or just graduating. They're going into their business career and going into their lives. What would you say is something that they really need to focus on that they need to focus on and it'll help their lives and also their careers be better for it. 
Ooh. One, be patient. Two, if you're coming to me for a job and you want to work for me, okay, the most important thing is show up on time, be prepared to work, listen, and learn, and respect the people around you who have knowledge. Learn from those people. Ask them questions. They will help you grow, and they will help you move up the ladder faster than anyone. And remember, you're coming out of college, nobody owes you anything. I don't owe you a job, nobody owes you anything. Be prepared to earn it. Because people respect that. And if they see that, that's going to help you more than anything. I'd say that's the best advice I can give somebody. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Egan. And for all of our listeners, this is Marshall Parise. I hope that you learned a lot and that you really paid attention. This was hands down one of our, or at least one of my favorite episodes. So I hope to see you next week and to continue learning. Thank you. From everyone here at Interviewing Inspiration, we'd like to say thank you for all of our listeners and all of the people who have supported us. We'd also like to say thank you for the people in Interviewing Inspiration who has made this possible. Parshva Adani, our co-owner and producer. Matthew Regali, the head of business development and operations. Avin Passowar, the creative director. Matthew Martinez, the business and technical advisor. We'd also like to give a special thank you to Mark LaCour for helping us get started up. He's actually got some podcasts of his own. Go check them out. They're about oil and gas, and they're actually really great. In addition, Cameron Turin, the creator of our music for this podcast, and everyone who has come on the show to be interviewed and share their knowledge. Thank you.